the main feature of your business model is those live streams. There's lots of other orchid sellers on Facebook, but I'm the only one that does this live stream. So I got the idea from the leggings sellers, LuLaRoe, and mm. they sell these pants live stream. You know, they'll show the pattern and you can say, okay, sold number 123. And so I decided to apply that to plants. It is literally the perfect experience. It is so fun. Yeah. It's, you know, everybody's excited and they're competing a little bit. And once they get yeah. going, they can't stop. <laughs> That's fun. kind of fun is the competition. Yeah, because you got to, you know, I call them my sharks. They jump and bite on the plant first they can. You know, sometimes there's just not enough plants and somebody might not get one. So you got to really pay attention and be ready to bite. And I think that that aspect of it, the competition, is part of what sells so many Today we revisit with Kelly McCracken of High Desert Orchids, who was on the podcast several months ago when she was launching her online plant business. We talk about the evolution of her business, her very unique strategy she is using on Facebook, and how she is successfully engaging and educating her customers via her Facebook group and weekly live streams of her unique orchid plants. If you are interested in online marketing of your hobby and turning it into a successful business, you will be inspired by Kelly's story. Since we are both the admins of our own Facebook groups, we talk about our theories about the Facebook algorithm too. Have a listen also if you are interested in the geekier side of orchid collecting, random facts, what type of people collect orchids, the complex world of hybridizing them, the details about the vast quantities of very diverse orchids all over the world, and an update on the orchid industry that has been crushed by the erupting Hawaiian volcano. And make sure to join Kelly's awesome Facebook group, High Desert Orchids, Orchids for Sale, on Facebook, and listen to the dynamic and fun live streams she has every Thursday night. This episode is going live on a Thursday, so it's not too late to join a group and then tune in tonight to her live stream. Really fun to watch the few people, yeah. like there are always a few people who know exactly what every plant is, I think. Yeah, so yeah, those they're are the jumping. Sharks. Yeah, they are jumping on the plants that they know are harder to come by, or they really, really have wanted. And then right. everyone else is a little bit too late. I really try and make it even. You know, we have a comment that's pinned in the um, live stream, so you can see the price and the name of the plant. And so Matthew and I, we always work on our timing to try and get the picture of the flower. I try and get the plant up in the video and the name all at the same time so that everybody can see oh yeah those you know those information at the same time but our timing just isn't quite right always well so i think it's pretty the good name gets up first sometimes the flower gets up first you know it's just yes but if somebody knows it already and that's one that they've been wanting then of course yeah. they're going to jump more quickly exactly your group is growing a lot Yes, that's right. I took your advice and um, you had mentioned that when you have a really high performing post that you tend to see a lot more members requests to be added. So I've been trying to get more high performing posts. So I've been doing photo contests, you know, where I say post your three prettiest pictures and then one will be the the banner at the end of the week. Nice. Um, that's been adding people. So I've been, you know, trying to get the more high performing posts. And I've also been adding um, sales plants to other orchid sales groups on Facebook. Ah. 
and uh, so the plants that are unsold after my live stream or um, you know that I've had hiding for a while that I want to get rid of I'll post in my group as well as the other orchid sales groups and say hey join high desert orchids have a lot more plants there and so I've been getting a lot of members there it's a little bit more work so uh, worth it now. just posting in my group yeah but uh, it's worth it so getting new members I'm a bit worried about my customers getting a bit saturated with my plants so I need new customers <laughs> right I think that that could happen I mean we only have so much space even though it seems like the orchid people can't stop <laughs> yeah we never stop no so what do you think it is that, I mean, you've been into orchids for how long? Like most of your life? Or is it something you've come to as an adult? Uh, no, I came to it as an adult. My mother had them when I was growing up, but they never really bloomed for her. You know, she just had the Phalaenopsis grocery store type. And yeah. uh, when I got older, I remember going home and she had one blooming. It was like amazing. And I was so impressed with her. And so I got one. thought, if my mother can do this, I can do it. So I got one and put it in my apartment. I had been traveling and living a lot of different places, you know, through my early 20s. So when I finally got an apartment in Albuquerque and settled down and I had good light and time to take care of them, you know, I got one and it did well and it was just down the hill from there. So, <laughs> the, you know, what it, what it is for me is you buy this plant, you may or may not buy it in bloom, and then you take care of it for a whole year or, you know, some of them bloom more than once a year. But then when it starts to be happy, it's just really rewarding. And all that time and attention that you give it, it gives that back tenfold, which is really awesome. And they're all so different and unique. They're really yes. not that hard to take care of. It seems like people are drawn to their variety and just the anticipation, like you said. It, do you notice a certain type of person that collects them? Because I personally, I was always a coin collector. So mm -hmm. now that I'm reading more about orchids and I'm also into plants it's like the perfect uh, thing to collect because there's just yeah. so many types and what I think something like 900 actual natural species but the amount of them that can be hybridized or something is unbelievable well you got your number way 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 too small it's about um, 32,000 natural species oh and there's you know hundreds of thousands of natural of hybrids um, registered hybrids Oh, it's a genus. That's the, well, that's what I meant. Oh, I yeah. Think. Yeah, so, yeah, probably about 900 generous. Yeah, so can you speak to that really quickly just for people who don't really understand how that works in the plant kingdom? Uh, sure. So, you know, the genera and phyla is what makes up the binomial name, you know, the annoying biology 101 stuff that we had to learn in high school. Right. The genus basically refers to a greater category and then the species is that individual you know similarities between these plants but there are enough differences that we consider them to be different species they are growing naturally in every part of the world basically right and i'm guessing probably not on antarctica but almost everywhere else yeah you know actually alaska has more native orchid species than hawaii that's amazing by about threefold yeah it's pretty interesting I think most people just, all they know is the Paleonopsis, right? They just yeah. see it on everybody's windowsill and then... And then that's the orchid, yeah. Yeah, and they don't realize how broad it is. So they're oh, growing different. all over the place. And what percentage of those, I mean, I know this is probably hard to say, but how many can be taken from the wild into our homes? It, it seems to be a plant that is so good at growing inside. Yeah, I think 
theoretically anything. There are some plants that we haven't really figured out how to cultivate yet. You know, mm-hmm. most of those are fairly hard to find species, you know, like in the Colombian rainforest, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But theoretically, I mean, you could cultivate anything, figure it out what it needs, you know. Yeah. And so are most of these plants that are almost unseen or being discovered, are they very, very small or are some of them larger? Um, well, I would say most of them are small. So like the, what I'm thinking of right now is um, a g- genus called Lepanthes. And these orchids live mostly in Colombia and Ecuador. Very high elevation, uh, very cool forests that rain and fog constantly. And they're very hard places to get to. And they're very, very small plants. Like the flowers are probably at maximum five millimeters. Wow. So they're very, very small plants. Um, And there's more plants in that region of the world than there are anywhere else. So there are definitely undescribed plants hanging out in those forests that we just haven't had the time to find. And with climate change and with the hurricanes that keep hitting that area, there's not really any time to find them anymore. Pretty sad. Are orchids Uh, medicinal? Not that I'm aware of. There's some like Asian dendrobium extract that I always get a result on when I Google dendrobiums, but I've never heard of a a medicinal orchid now. Oh, interesting. Okay. I'm sure there's something. Yeah, I bet there there is. But, uh, and what about, and they are used for food. Is not vanilla an orchid species? Vanilla is a species of orchid, yes. Interesting, yeah. That's the only orchid um, that produces uh, an edible food pod. Amazing. Fruit pod, you know. Only that one. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. And the one that is actually used is actually just one species of vanilla. There's probably about 20 different species of vanilla. Vanilla is the genus. Planifolia is the species that's used. And that's just because it's the easiest growing. But they can all produce that taste. That's so cool. I was reading something about, uh, what's the, the lady slipper? What's the name of that, actually? Uh, Paphiopetalum, maybe? Paphiopetalum, yes. So those are not... You don't hybridize those, is that right? No, they're definitely hybridized. They're just a little bit um, different pollination tactic. Oh, okay. That, that pouch. Got to I see. Pouch. And are there certain, so not all orchids can be crossed, but, and do we know which can be and which can't be? Different? You know, um, I think it's just some are harder than others. Hmm. So, there's a lot of breeding, like those oncidiums that you like. There's yeah. probably 15, 20 years of breeding in one of those plants. So that means, you know, gener- a new generation of plants every three years or so. And there's probably 12 or 15 different genera or um, species in that plant and multiple genera. So, That's amazing. And I, I felt so naive when I figured that out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they you know, they're bred to be easy growing and they're bred to be pretty. So uh, I don't know if there's anything that can't be crossed, but there are things that are difficult to cross. And that's because they might be very small flowers. Like I mentioned the Lepanthes earlier, those are very difficult to um, pollinate because the flowers are absolutely tiny. The pollen is literally microscopic. 
Amazing. So it's very, very difficult to create those. Um, not only getting the pollen off, but putting it in the right place is also very difficult. Um, and then, you know, the pod might not take or the pod might abort for some reason. Um, there are certain species that will only accept pollen from a sibling, so you can't self-pollinate it. You have to get it from a sibling. So if it's oh. a rare species that you have in your collection, but you're not aware of anybody else that has one, you might not be able to pollinate that plant. It might, might be the only one in cultivation, that kind of thing. Wow, so there's these little gigantic details. Yeah, and you know, with 32,000 species, you're not really going to know that information about every single species, so you just got to kind of play with them and experiment. And, and there are little tricks, you know, like it might only accept the pollen on the third day of the flower opening, so you have to know that trick about that plant and, or when, when the flower resupinates, you know, when it turns upside down is the best time to uh, put the pollen on. There's just all kinds of silly little rules and things. It's amazing. And so how many people are really seriously trying to breed them or maybe research? Hobbyist breeding? Hmm, I don't know. Maybe maybe those people aren't breeding them. But I think the hobbyists mostly aren't breeding. Okay. Because it's kind of complicated. Like I mentioned, all those pollination tricks and also it's very difficult to actually germinate the seeds. Mm-hmm. You have to do it in a sterile environment. Nature, they require uh, a certain fungus in order to, uh, to germinate. And um, so what we do in cultivation is we put them in a sterile flask with a high nutrient growing media, grow them under uh, the pressure hood, that laminar flow hood, I think that's the name. So wow. you have to you know, put the seed in the jar under the laminar hood. It's amazing. Have you given it a try or are you doing that actively? Uh, I have a friend who does do flasking. He lives in Socorro and um, I have, I have played around with some pods with him, but I have not, um, no. There are certain, like the Cattleya, right? Is that, am I pronouncing it right? You are. They're wildly popular still, right? They were really popular. I was reading in the sixties, but and they've ever since been used to hybridize many different beautiful plants. But still, they're not, I mean, I think it might have something to do with grocery stores having certain orchids and not normally the Cattleya, that they're not as seen, as popularly seen. So the Cattleya, it seems like they're bred in Hawaii a lot of the time, right? Yeah. And is that because of the humidity or just because soil conditions or tradition? Uh, well, that's because humidity has such a favorable climate to orchids. That's where most of the country's orchids are, Cattleya, Phalaenopsis, whatever. Oh, okay. They're grown in Hawaii mostly? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cattleyas, you know, I think they're not so popular as a household orchid because they require so much light. Oh. Not as easy to cultivate as a Phalaenopsis. You know, Phalaenopsis, you can put it on a windowsill unless, unless you do something really wrong. It's probably going to be okay there. But a Cattleya, they need pretty bright light, so they're not not as floriferous. Okay, so maybe in New Mexico, where we are, that is a good plant if you can keep the humidity up. Yeah, yeah, they don't necessarily need a whole lot of humidity. They're pretty, um, pretty flexible plants. Well, I was drawn to their, their foliage. It, it looks really cool. It stands up and they look like paddles, but they're yeah. all a little bit different. Yeah, yeah, I like that about Cattleyas too. I collect a lot of them. And That's they really tend to cool. be fragrant. Yes, that the first one that I got from you was so fragrant. My whole house was filled with it, the smell of it for weeks. It was really awesome. That sounds great. 
but I've got these two, uh, well, one of them is an insidium, and the other one is that plant I was asking about. It's, you know, many different uh, plants hybridized, but I accidentally put them outside while watering them for just 20 minutes, and the whole top of them burned. Oh, no. Yeah, that's yeah. in Mexico. Yeah, so I'm, I'm wondering, like, on a pseudobulb, you've got, I've got two leaves coming out of each pseudobulb, right? Mm-hmm. Do they ever produce more leaves out of the pseudobulbs, or are those over? If I burn them, I've got to remove them, and that's it. Mm, I don't, it won't grow any new ones out of the top, no, because that oh, well. forms when the pseudobulb is growing out. But, you know, the leaves usually come off when the plant is older anyway. Like when that bulb is older, that leaf might come off. Okay. Is that the only leaf on your plant? Oh, I've got, there are several pseudobulbs actually, but uh, most of them now have burnt leaves on the top. Yes, yeah, so I don't know what's going on. You don't have to cut it off. You can if you want, you don't have to. I would hope that the plant would realize that it needs to do something, go out laterally to get more nutrition or something. Photosynthesize. <laughs> they're just they're just kind of slow growing. They they don't catch up. Gotcha. So back to the subject of Hawaii. Uh -huh. uh, after the volcano, I, I don't even know if it's still erupting, but uh, the whole industry has been completely changed, right? Yeah, um, and the volcano is still erupting, and they're saying it might still erupt for years to come. The the um, magma pocket is still full and the pressure is still there to erupt. So unbelievable. could be for years. Um, and yes. it's, it's one section, how unfortunate that it's the one section where many, 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 many yeah. yeah. So has that meant that a lot of them have just fire sale inventory sales and got uh, rid of all their stuff? Yes. Um, I'm aware of, one of my growers that did that, they were in the direct path of the lava flow. They had two greenhouses, and one of them was in the path of the lava flow. So that's exactly what they did was, you know, help us save these plants and buy them really fast. So they just um, took them out of the pots and shipped them bare root to whoever would buy them. And a lot of the growers just lost the crop, not necessarily because of the lava flow, but because of the toxic fumes from the volcano, the sulfur dioxide. Oh, wow. So the flowers are very sensitive to the fumes. The plants might not have died, but the, you know they lost a whole crop due to the, the toxic fumes. And do you think that now that that whole section of Hawaii is pretty much going out of business, uh, people may have shipped them all over the place, but they don't have the infrastructure to grow them like that. So do you think that over time, maybe there will be a shortage? Um, from my understanding is most of the growers that... Um, were lost during the, the lava flow there. They were mostly cut flower growers, oh. potted flower growers. Uh, so they lost probably about half the cut flower industry in you know, two days. So I do think there'll be a shortage. I'm always having trouble finding the things that I want to sell. Uh -huh. But If all those companies, I mean, they may have sold their plants, but mm -hmm. the infrastructure is not there later. You know, the people who oh, buy them in New Jersey and wherever else, they don't have those huge greenhouses. So over time, would there maybe be a yeah. shortage? Yeah, I think so. There's definitely a big loss uh, of the growers in Hawaii. And I think there'll definitely be a shortage. Hmm, that's so sad. Prices will go up, availability will go down. And oh, well, that leads to a question. Is an orchid an investment? Can it be an investment? Oh, yeah. 
that's kind of an interesting question. I think so, sure. Well, yeah, so, because I, I definitely noticed that there's certain types of people who they're really interested in the things that they collect, and then because of that, they're, they have a good eye or they've created a collection, so then it does become actually valuable. Yeah, totally. You know, um, a plant, like I was mentioning earlier, you might have a, a rare species and you pollinate it and you get your flask full of seedlings. You could either sell that flask for a pretty good price, especially if it's a rare plant, or you could take them out of flask and you know grow them up into blooming sized plants. And then that would be a good investment. Or you can also um, buy a plant uh, grow it for a few years. You can sell it as a specimen plant. You know, we refer to specimen plants just like the succulent community does as large plants. You can sell that as a specimen or you could cut it up and sell it. Definitely. I sell a lot of plants that I bought years ago and have grown up. That's really profit. cool. Yeah, it's, yeah. Not, it's not a huge profit, but little by little it makes money. And I mean, if you have one small plant and then in five years, it's a huge plant and it's cared for and you coddled it and you've had it bloom, then I'm sure it's, and it's beautiful and maybe even rare, then it seems to be that it would be worth something. An interesting way to look at it. So your business, your, it, it is growing, but like your, when we first talked, it was conceptual almost, right? And then you had, yeah. had you, you were very involved with the New Mexico Orchid Guild. Uh-huh. And you did sell plants sometimes at different shows and things like that, right? Well, I did participate in the New Mexico Orchid Guild Spring Show in May. I was a vendor there, one of two. Wow. Um, as well as the, the guild itself. So that was a lot of fun. Yeah, that was my first show. Oh, okay. So it really is, your, your business is pretty new. Now that your group is growing so quickly, I mean, I've seen like, what, 20 or 30 people who are regular customers. Yeah, they're a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, they're really cool. And that number has to be growing, but based on the amount of people that are joining your group. Yeah, it kind of, you know, it follows this this pattern with a customer. You know, they'll find me, they'll buy like, you know, one to three plants the first week, and then they might buy like you know, five to eight the next week, and then they'll get like a really, really big order. And then maybe the next week it'll go down a little bit. They'll look at their bank account. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they might not buy something the next week. So that's why I need to get those new customers. Is that seems to be a, a familiar pattern with, with customers. Is they buy a lot and then they don't buy so much the next few weeks. I see. Well, I, I definitely, as somebody who is in that category, but not maybe to that extent, because yeah. I did buy some plants for me, right? And I have them all out here and they look great and it's just so fun and I had the thought, well, what if all these plants actually die? Like, that was kind of a panic oh, yeah. thought that I had. You know, I think that's probably what people are thinking. Like, wait, I better prove to myself that I can keep them alive. Oh, yeah, I totally do that. When I, you know, when I buy something I haven't ever grown before and then it blooms, I'm like, oh, yeah, now I can buy a ton more. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel validated. Totally. So have you turned it into a full-time gig already because I know it's a lot of work to package everything up. Yeah, that's the biggest job. You know, try and slowly try and optimize the job. But I think that that's the one thing that cannot be automated, cannot be half-assed. Yeah. And I'm known for good plants that arrive safely, so I want to maintain that 
reputation. Unfortunately, it's also the most boring part. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. you know, it's not full time necessarily with the amount of time I'm spending, but it's, it's very much worth my time as in regards to the amount of um, money that I'm making with the, the business. That is so great. You were asking me earlier about what kind of person collects orchids, and I've been thinking about it ever since. Yeah. But uh, I don't really know what kind of person really collects orchids. Somebody who likes to nurture, and somebody who's a little bit patient, and somebody who likes pretty flowers. And that's about it, I think. Those are <laughs> the qualifications. Cool. But um, no, my group is all kinds of different people. I got mostly women, but quite a few men and um, all different ages. Facebook provides demographics, but it's really just quite varied. And yeah. yeah. Those, some of those other groups like Orcaholics Anonymous, they have like tens of thousands of people, right? Yeah, that's, that's the biggest group on Facebook is Orcaholics Anonymous. How many people are you getting a week? Hmm, I think about 20 to 50, depends on the week. That's really great. Yeah. That's good How does growth. That compare to your group. Well, my group, I would say, is getting, it's very fast growing. I've got, I would say, about 15 a day. That's pretty good. But I went through, see, this is the thing about Facebook. They, they control everything and they don't tell us anything. So there was one month where I was in some sort of probation period that they didn't, <laughs> I didn't understand why. And I was trying to figure it out. Yet? No, nobody joined my group. Yeah, so, I feel like I had that too, just a couple weeks there where there was like nothing happening. Yeah, so I thought it was something I was doing, but it might just be, you know, at set time periods, they test the admin to see if you actually will be engaging with the group, and then they open it up again. So I don't really know, and it is very frustrating. And another time for about two weeks, uh, I noticed that I had a few people in the group who were posting things that weren't exactly on topic or were slightly negative. And maybe mm -hmm. in their algorithm, these types of people who are almost spammers, uh -huh. they knock the quality of your group down. So then Facebook doesn't promote it. Huh. And I did notice that once I had a couple things that were off topic and I removed them. And when I removed the people who were spamming or using the group against my rules, the group started growing again. Yeah. How many posts do you get a day? Probably one to three okay. new posts. And good. yeah, I would like to get that number up. And I'm also looking at the uh, different types of groups. And another thing that Facebook is not good at doing is explaining how to use the different types of groups. It's actually very difficult to understand. Yeah. Yeah. I get a lot of trouble with that too. It'd be great if I could categorize all the posts, which is how some groups are doing it, but I can't figure out what type of group I need to turn it into in order to do that. And then there's this mentoring program, which I want to add, but yeah, I don't think... heard of that. Yeah, it's something they're starting. So basically, a group it's a group feature where people with expertise on a certain subject, so it actually would be perfect for my group and for your group, they can say, oh, yeah, I'm a soil scientist, and my expertise is in restoring soil that, you know, from erosion or something like that. And then there might be a student of a similar subject, and they will be put together. 
and Facebook uses their algorithm so to match people up. Is that a separate group or can, can it be part of your existing group? It would be part of the existing group. I'll have to look into that. That would be very interesting. Yes, and, but the weird thing is it's not very easy to understand how to add it. Like I haven't figured out how to, and I think it might only by, be by invitation. So there's a lot yeah, of things maybe about... Maybe it's a, a beta thing. Exactly. So, and then there's one group that every single thing in the page, every post is categorized. So anybody can come in and say, okay, insects. And then every single insect post is going to come up, but it's, it's subjects that you can see rather than just yeah. having to search for them. Okay. So that's what I would like for my group. Yeah, the Android phone and on a desktop, you can see items for sale specifically, but on mm -hmm. an iPhone, there's no option to see what's for sale in a group. So you kind of have to scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll. Or hope that Facebook shows you what's for sale in your newsfeed, but it doesn't always happen. They've improved it a bit, showing it in the newsfeed and with their notification system, but it's still, you have to scroll and scroll a lot. It's pretty annoying. Wow. And when you're putting something up for sale, is it getting posted across the marketplace so other people who are looking at plants might see it elsewhere? Uh, I have the option to do that, but oh, okay. it's an extra step. And are you doing that? Yeah. And yeah, I it, mentioned that earlier as a way to grow my group. That, oh, okay. Um, posting to the other groups and saying, hey, join my group. Oh, yeah. So I've seen some of those posts, I think. But I didn't know if that was through the marketplace. Uh, no, I guess, no, I don't post in the marketplace because then I tend to get crazy. People asking, like, you know, I'm in Paraguay. Can you ship it to my friend? And then my, sh my friend will ship it to me. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's no, annoying. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> Well, I, I can't wait to see what happens with Facebook. I know that I feel like you and I both are building stuff with our, you've actually got a direct monetization happening, but it is still a lot of work. It's a great business. Mine hasn't been monetized and I have plans to do that, but who knows what the future holds with Facebook. I'm just so curious about that. Yeah, I don't think Facebook is going anywhere. You know, they've been branching out and my business is completely reliant on marketplace feature and buy and sell groups. So I hope it doesn't go anywhere. I don't think it'll go anywhere. I think it will only get stronger. I hope yeah. that they will keep some sort of a free market for us. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's so different because like eBay takes, you know, about 9% of whatever purchase or whatever sales you make on their website and Facebook doesn't do any of that. So it's just awesome for a small business like me. 10% is a lot. No kidding. And are you still doing that? Are you still using eBay at all? Not very much. You know, I find that people go to eBay for deals. So they want lower prices on eBay. And I can't offer lower prices on eBay because of that, you know, 9% fee. Ah. Um, so I actually have to have higher prices on eBay to make it worth my time. It's actually a lot more time to write up a listing than it is to just post something on Facebook because I can just post the price and a little description of the plant and then a, a picture and it's up. But eBay, you have to go through this whole like shipping costs this much, packaging costs this much. It just that makes is sense. a lot more complicated. That would take a long expensive. time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For, you know, a hundred plants that I sell every week, I can't do that. That's just way too time consuming. I really like being able to see the plant in 360. You know, it, if you order online, you can't necessarily see the plant in 360. 
but on a live stream, you can see the roots, you can see all the features of the plant, you know exactly if, what you're getting, you can ask questions from me, and uh, so I'll answer all those questions of the customers, and it's totally fun and interactive. You know, customers know exactly what they're getting, which is what I really aspire to. You know, I try and get things in bud as much as possible and easier growing things as well as more uh, unique and rarer species for the grizzled growers. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I try and have something for everybody, a beginning grower and a very advanced, you know, we have an AOS student judge, American Orchid Society student judge who's in the group and a frequent listener. So I try and have something for everybody. I try and, you know, be knowledgeable and well-read about the orchids that I'm selling. So you can always ask me a question if you're not sure about something. And as well as I have experience cultivating all of these things. So I try and be available to the customers, have as many answers as possible. So you nobody should job. be intimidated. Well, it's really fun. And that's another component that I didn't really ask yeah. you about. But like the education component, that is so, that's definitely one of the reasons for people to tune in. I think so too. Yeah, I wasn't really planning on that when I started it, but I think it is really fun to to learn. And, you know, my customers around here, my local customers, they always say, oh, I can't watch your show because I buy too many things. And I never thought of it as a show, you know, but it is. It's I try and make it worth watching and worth your time more so than just buying plants. That's great. All right. Well, thank you so much, Kelly. Yeah, you're giving me a lot to think about. I appreciate your time. Oh, likewise.